Okay, guys, welcome back to a new podcast, another solo podcast answering your questions from Instagram. So as always, thank you very much for anyone that did contribute. I do appreciate the questions and I'm going to give my best efforts to answer them all today. A little bit of a brief update on me. So I am doing really good. Uh, I was sick as a dog last week. Uh, this time last week, I started getting sick and got all grumpy, got all upset about it. And then I was yeah, pretty ill for like two, three days over the weekend. Took adequate rest, got better. Uh, and now I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, first few sessions back were like sort of getting my sort of getting myself together again and making sure that I wasn't making myself worse, which I wasn't luckily and I managed to still take home three really good sessions, both legs push and pull. Uh, I hit 200 kilos for eight on squat really recently, then hit 200 kilos on RDL for six and took uh, just over a three and a half plates, uh, incline hammer strength press for, for eight reps as well and 40 kilos shoulder press for, for eight. So like all of my numbers are going up and eating a lot of protein. Um, Valentin would be happy with my protein intake, so would Jack Thorburn. Uh, so protein intake's the highest it's been. Calorie intake, highest it's been. Uh, body composition is still holding up pretty well. So by the time you listen to this podcast, you'll have probably seen a physique update go up on Instagram if you haven't already. Check it out, see how I'm looking. About 185 pounds at the moment. Uh, still skinny in my books, but the road to 200 is very much on. Uh, whether 200 pounds will look remotely attractive or not, I am I'm yet to confirm that with you guys. I think it will look horrendous uh, in terms of the face. The face will look um, fully blown in in my uh, in my vocabulary. But I will certainly enjoy and relish the the progress that I'm going to be making up to that body weight. So let's crack into the questions. And I hope whatever you guys are doing right now, whether you're in the car, stay safe. Uh, if you're listening to this on cardio or you're prepping for a show, uh, keep dig digging deep dives and like keep putting in your effort and your, your best foot forwards. And, um, and yeah, thank you very much for listening. So let's crack in. So we've got first question from John Griffo, who asks about dealing with clients who want to push harder on a cut, even though they're following a plan they're on a set schedule to achieve a certain level of conditioning for a show uh, or for, for a photo shoot perhaps um, and they just want to essentially get to the point where they're not um, not pushing harder than they need to so from from my perspective here John I would say that you need to remind them of the end goal so remind them how important that the goal is in terms of getting there with maximal muscle mass if they want to get on stage with as much muscle as possible retained, they they should be losing at the scheduled percentage of loss. So for most individuals, this will look like a 1% rate of loss. Um, if we look at the, the literature on especially natural bodybuilding contest preps, and we look at how we're going to maximally retain muscle mass, we look at sort of a 1% rate, rate of loss per week. So for me, it's starting at 185 pounds. That initial rate of loss would start about 1.8 pounds per week. Um, and over the course of the prep, obviously with body weight dropping, your rate of loss should follow suit. It should drop too. Um, so from my perspective, that's where I am at on the pushing harder scenario. It reminds them that they want to display their best physique possible on stage. Therefore, a correct rate of loss has to be has to be followed. And if they go faster than that, they can say goodbye to tissue. It's pretty much straight up goodbye to tissue if you, if you want to diet harder. If you want to push harder, fine. But push hard with 
push smart. Like it's the same way you want to apply to everything. You know, train hard, train smart, kind of thing. You have to have an element of sense in what we do, and that applies to to dieting processes as much as it does for gaining phases. Cool. Next question. I am just soul. Ask in a diet with plenty of olive oil and other omega three sources. Is a supplement necessary? Um, I personally wouldn't say so. If you're getting plenty of omega-3 sources from your diet itself, so from things like salmon, eggs, whole eggs, etc., um, then I wouldn't say that you need to necessarily supplement on top of that. But the amount of people that actually do this on a consistent basis is quite slim. So if you manage this really well, I don't think you have a need for a for a, an essential fatty acid supplement. Um, but again, just like green drinks, um, a lot of people shun green drinks. But when you look at the degree of micronutrients and phytonutrients that you get in a green drink, um, the quality of micronutrition you're getting there, it's almost like a bit of an insurance policy. So for me, taking an omega three supplement, even if I know that I'm getting in a wide variety of of essential fatty acids from my food groups is almost like a bit of an insurance policy. So I would be on the verge between the two is what I would say, my advice there, uh, mates. So Charles asks, and I did a bit of research on this. So he asked about um, basically phytic acid and its effect on protein absorption. So I didn't know a lot about this. So my personal research into what I found out about phytic acid and whether its effect on protein absorption is something to be worried about. So basically, we're going to get cytic acid from a lot of foods in our diet, uh, mainly like legumes, grains, some nuts. But one of the most prevalent things that I've seen in cytic acid is the amount varies between different sources of food. So the amount of cytic acid in, for example, almonds can be very varied in different almonds, obviously from different origins, etc. So that's one of the things to consider. So the food, the amount of cytic acid in a in an actual food can vary. So if you think you're having a food that's high in cytic acid, it might actually not be. What has been deemed is that cytic acid does sometimes impair the absorption of iron, zinc, and calcium, and cause deficiencies. But what has been the conclusion of further research, or at least an awareness of what cytic acid has an influence on, is that. With people with a balanced, varied diet, we really don't need to worry about the effects of, on absorption from cytic acid. So I would say that if your diet's significantly high in cytic acid, but you have an overall balanced diet, I would say you don't need to worry. Um, that's what I would deem my interpretation of, of what I've seen through research, and what I've seen through my, yeah, my own sort of digging into the topic. So Charles, Hats off to that question. I do actually have hair. It's looking all right today. Um, so yeah, I, I would say hats off to that question because you made me think. So thanks very much for that one, mate. Um, cytic acid is often referred to the uh, as an anti-nutrient, but when you look a little bit deeper, it doesn't seem to have too much of an effect on people who have a balanced diet. Um, and it also doesn't seem to have, actually, it, sorry, it does seem to have some positive effects. So maybe positive effects on um, things like preventing from kidney stones and even cancers. Um, so yeah, again, like there's some positive effects to having some degree of cytic acid in your diet. But anyone who wants to uh, comment below on any of their opinions on, on, on that question, please do, because I, I'm more than willing to, 
to take further comments on boards reg regarding that. Next question, Mitch. So is there a specific way you program your strength training, mesocycles, training split, volume, etc.? So Mitch basically DM'd me last night asking how the hell am I keeping on gaining strength? Is there a certain way that I program? Is there a secret? There is no secret. Sorry guys, there is no secret. Um, my secret to gaining strength recently has been I am just relentless in every single variable that I control. Um, you know, like Danny will attest to that. I don't, I don't leave a stone unturned really when it comes to my recovery modalities. So uh, when you do that, when you do that and you actually do that, because the amount of people that say, oh yeah, I really maximize my recovery, don't. They don't. They don't maximize their recovery. They don't do everything within their power to be able to do that. So I, I'm talking about like every inch of your day, making sure that your sleep is a regular cycle. You're having a bedtime. You're having a wake time. From the moment you wake up, we're thinking about staying in a low stress environment throughout the day, apart from our training session. That's where we can start to elicit a uh, sympathetic dominant state. And the rest of your, your state throughout the day has to be more parasympathetic, has to be a state of parasympathetic dominance. The reason why is we'll rest up and we'll recover more optimally in that state. We'll also absorb nutrients, we'll, we'll digest food better in that state. So if you really think about your day and you break it up and you manage your nervous system as well as much as you manage how you're feeling sort of physically and mentally, you will see a huge difference in your training capacity. Okay, and that, that will influence your ability to perform volume, that will influence your ability to push up your top set numbers. Um, and, and like all of these things, they, they matter way more than just a minutia of how we program training. So my programming is no, no, no real secret. Um, I, I know that I can now train fairly hard. I know that I can train harder though, and I'm going to learn how to train harder uh, from a bunch of people this year, I'm sure. Um, but I, within that, I know that I can elicit a decent degree of intensity, and my load on the bar is also quite high. So when my intensity is high, um, and when I'm allowing myself to get to the point of close to failure on most sets, I know that in that moment, my volume has to be low, both per exercise and across the whole session and in the microcycle itself. If you're able to elicit that degree of intensity and also the load on the bar is high, your volume cannot be super duper high. Um, that's my general approach. And the, the reasons why I do tend to like a, a higher intensity and thus lower volume approach is partly because Anecdotally, I've seen the most dense individuals and the best physiques on stage that stand out are the people that are strong. They're people that lift like serious weights. Um, if you go on Instagram and you see someone that's got loads of comments on a video saying, what the fuck, like that's inhuman, like how are you doing that? Um, that's crazy, that's absurd, that's awesome. Then you look at their physique. Nine out of 10 times, they'll have a cracking physique. They'll have density top to toe, and they will stand out in every single shot. And you'll be able to pick them out on stage as well. You'll be able to say, that guy does some cool stuff stuff in the gym. Um, and you, you just can. Um, Keefe, Keefe is a great example. One of my clients from last year, junior athlete. Um, fortunately, we had a, a few things that didn't go super well in his prep, which made it's almost made me a bit upset with him because he's fucking awesome. He's fantastic, um, and he all he needs to do is just be an absolute 
peak condition next time he competes. And there were reasons behind the story that most people didn't know uh, as to why he wasn't. Um, he was still in great shape, especially considering the circumstances, if you knew them. Um, and uh, he has got so, so much potential. But look at what he's doing in the gym. There is no one, no one doing what he is doing in the gym. And that's why there's pretty, pretty much no one that looks like him. Um, and, and that is the bottom, bottom line of it. So guys, like take that into your training. Just think, how can I do crazy stuff in the gym? Um, if you can post something on Instagram or even just do it and not even post it and consistently do that kind of stuff that not only scares you but impresses other people, I promise you, by the end of this year, if you've done that for a whole year, you will have made incredible strides and you will have a really damn good physique. Um, eat enough, sleep enough, recover enough. It's not a hard process, but people aren't willing to do it because it's boring. You know, it's like, it's repetitive. Some people get bored with this kind of process. Um, it, it, on, on paper, it's a very boring process, but for the people that love it, it's super enjoyable. Um, Valentin said it again in a post recently with his RDLs. He said, you know, you've got to love the boring stuff. You've got to love the day in, day out, religious approach to bodybuilding. That is why we do this. It's why I come on here every week and talk about bodybuilding for half an hour, 40 minutes, because I love this. <laughs> I don't want to do anything else. I don't, want to, I don't want to do anything else in my day. I don't want to talk about <laughs> dancing. I don't want to talk about crayons. I want to talk about bodybuilding. <laughs> crayons. Jesus Christ, man. What is wrong with you? Right, so Kieran, I work a nine, I work a five to four job. I train around six-ish. Can I do cardio post weights or cardio on rest days? Kieran's very individual. Um, if your goal is maximum muscle mass, I would say that implementing some cardio at some points in this phase is important to keep cardiovascular health and influence your resting heart rate as well, keeping that in a healthy range. Um, but if your job is making, is meaning that your weight training sessions are already kind of rushed in the evening, the last thing you wanna be doing is putting on cardio at the end of that as well. So I would say best to approach it with cardio on rest days and just fit it in when you can get it in. Something like 25 to 30 minutes of lists on a rest day would be good for you. Um, making sure heart rate's anywhere between 130 and 140 BPM, um, either tracking that roughly on the machine or going to a point at which you can't maintain a conversation, you're breaking a sweat, that's advisable. Um, and then beyond that, if the goal is fat loss, then I think eliciting your deficit with a reduction in calories as opposed to an increase in cardiovascular activity is probably gonna be your best bet, Kieran. So have a think of that as you move forwards and just make sure that you're putting your priorities in place. Um, so Edgar, supplements you take and why? So I'm actually just gonna discuss any supplements that are relatively new in my stack and a couple of reasons why I take them as opposed to just mentioning every single one because a lot of you take most of these supplements. So I'm gonna note a few that maybe you don't take. So one of my latest supplements is Support Max Neuro from Strom Sports. Been taking this for the past month. This is ashwagandha, lion's mane, uh, bioprene for absorption and choline. So uh, basically it's, we have adaptogens, uh, calming adaptogens, which are gonna help you to get in a re relaxed state. So inc increase your uh, chances of getting into a parasympathetic state, get you into a parasympathetic dominant environment, again, aiding your rest, aiding your recovery, um, getting you into that relaxed environment so you can therefore absorb nutrition in a, in a better manner, rest and recover. Um, 
it is essentially a stress management supplement. It's what it's marketed as. Um, I have noticed huge benefits with using ashwagandha itself with the combination of some more adaptogens and focus, more so focus related adaptogens. I believe that it's a supplement that every hard trainer should take. Um, so I, I do really, really like that one. Um, and again, when you're in the dieting phase, when stress levels are high, trying to combat that with a supplement that's gonna get you into a more relaxed state is key. Um, a lot of people don't do this on a ground level, so you've got to remember that adding in a supplement that's going to control stress if you're not already controlling stress with your routine and your day-to-day -day actions, then that's a stupid mistake to make. So first off, you control your daily routine and your daily actions, and then you add in a supplement to maximize your general recovery capacity. So I would say that that's one of the ones that, I, that I've taken recently that's very, very good. Besides that, one of my favorite pre-workouts at the moment is Fury X by Core. Um, it's just got a really nice blend of both energy and focus ingredients. Um, so it's not too heavy stim, so I don't feel completely gassed after taking it. But the blend of both pump, focus, and energy is really, really nice. I sometimes combine that with PKX, which is more of a focus-orientated supplement. Again, using supplements, uh, sorry, using adaptogens to add into that complex give you that laser-like focus in sessions. So like if, you, if I go, if I'm going for like a PB session, I will take support max neuro in the morning, uh, take, uh, and then midday, about 1 p.m., I will take, and the morning for me is like 6.30 a.m., and then I will take peak X combined with Fury X pre-workout, and then I am like laser focus. <laughs> uh, and then obviously post-workout, about an hour post-workout, I'll take another dosage of support max neuro. Uh, so yeah, those are some of my SUPs. Um, I'm not going to list them all. It would take ages, and a lot of you know what I take anyway. Um, so CW Towers 13, would you come out of a deficit, or sorry, when coming out of a deficit, should you jump straight to maintenance and slightly drop, and then the message ends? So I'm guessing what you're saying is, is when you come out of a deficit, how should you raise calories? Very individual, again. It depends what phase you're in, what you're doing, and what the goal is. Um, if the goal is to pack on tissue and you're coming from a pretty lean body composition, um, like so this is pretty lean, not contest lean, you can benefit from a slightly slower increase in calories. So perhaps something as little as 300 calories for someone of your body weight looking at your profile um, would be adequate just to shift you away from a deficit and get you closer to maintenance. Like you don't, if you've wasted like maybe one week undershooting it, it's not the end of the world. You're still going to have plenty of glycogen to increase performance. If you undershoot it, it's not the end of the world, but you want to spend as little time as possible undershooting. Um, I think people fuck around far too much from getting into uh, at least maintenance, if not surplus, uh, out of a diet. I don't think there's any place for maintenance after a dieted phase unless you're planning to maintain that condition. Which is, which is pointless if you want to build more muscle. So you have the ability to be very respondent to nutrients. So being a little slower is fine, but being slow to the point where you're not gaining any weight over a two-week period is stupid. Because all you've done there is just extend the diet. So you should be looking to gain weight over these, over these initial weeks. So shoot up, 
Um, give yourself a decent bump, like I said, anywhere between 300 and 500 calories. It could be more, though. Again, this is very, very much an estimate. Um, get yourself out of a deficit. Do not fuck around. Do not waste time. I've done it. I've been there. I've done it. I've wasted time, man. I've wasted so much time trying to come from a deficit all the way up to, to maintenance, trying to bridge the gap. Stop trying to bridge the gap. You know? like just, just, just get up there. Um, because you just don't want to waste time. Um, don't waste time. It's, it's pointless. Do not waste time. Um, so yeah, make sure you're up and then get gaining. 0.5 pound per week kind of variable for you would be great. Um, and then yeah, just attack things from there. Bogdan, if you're training early, 6 to 7 a.m. and calories are low, when is it more important to eat a meal, pre or post-workout? Interesting. I would personally, if I was training at 6 to 7 a.m., Bogdan, I would go straight into my intra. I wouldn't even bother with a pre-workout meal. Reason being is I don't want to disrupt digestion to the point where I can't have an intra. I love having intra-workout shakes. Um, I, I, I would want to favor that more heavily over waking up at 5 and getting in a meal. So I would wake up, I'd go straight into my intra-workout shake, and I'd go straight into, obviously, a post-workout meal once my uh, once I tried to get my heart rate down a baseline to start to relax post-workout, um, and then I, I, I'd go into post-workout. So I'd, my answer is the post-workout meal is probably more important. There isn't really a degree of importance. If calories are low, you can save calories from not having the pre-workout meal. Pull a little bit into your intro, which I'd always have throughout diet anyway. I'd always have intras. Um, and then obviously have a decent post-workout meal. Hope that answers your question. Amal Kuze asked for a basic diet, um, and someone else asked, could you do a full, full day of eating on your story? Uh, both of these questions, I'll do a full day of eating at some point, which is fine, but my basic diet in terms of how I set up my day, so I, I usually start my day with some sort, some sort of fruit and a whey protein, very easy, um, very convenient for me to eat. I don't have to think about it, spikes NPS, I crack on with my morning work. I don't even sit down to eat that, to be honest. Um, I, I usually either make a shake um, with the, just the fruit and the whey, and I drink it whilst I'm sort of at my desk, or I'll eat the berries whilst listening to a client check-in. Like, I'm still consciously eating, not rushing it, but I don't need to sit down, and I don't need to cook anything. I don't want to do that in the morning. I want to crack on with work. So then I go into my pre-workout meal sorry if anyone's listening i just took a sip of water then i go into my pre-workout meal which is oats whey uh, blueberries and usually some form of fats from either nut butter or or dark chocolate in terms of amounts um it's anywhere between 80 and 90 grams of carbs about 15 grams of fat and about 45 protein and then i go into my intra-workout shake which at the moment is 30 grams of carbs 30 grams of Pepto Pro and 10 grams of EAAs with taurine, um, a bit of electrolytes, and a little bit of creatine. And then post-workout meals usually uh, Thai jasmine rice, blueberries, and chicken, and a bit of salad. Very low calorie salad, very low fiber. And then I have secondary post-workout meal, which is the wraps and callow dark chocolate rice cakes. And then my pre-bed meal is still oats with nothing on top. Plain, yeah, plain. Magical, play notes. Um, so yeah, that's my basic diet. And I'll do a full day of eating so you can see that in image format at some point. But hopefully that gives you some ideas. The wraps are pretty easy to make. Just put chicken in them, a bit of salad. Nice, nice and easy. Uh, it's a good meal, actually. Uh, so John, is it worth 
getting a blood glucose meter while starting. So a lot of people don't know what blood glucose tells us beyond our insulin sensitivity. So it can indicate signs of poor sleep, high stress, high inflammation, needing to have an extra rest day or recover. Um, so it is sometimes important when dieting. If you notice a fluctuation up in your blood glucose, it, it doesn't just mean that, oh my God, like I'm not in a position to, like I, I, I've influenced my insulin sensitivity through having too many carbs or I'm too fat. Like that's, that, that, that kind of pisses me off and I bet it pisses other people off that use this as data as coaches because that's not true. Like those, those aren't the other fact, those aren't the only factors that influence your blood glucose. It's not just influenced by how many carbs you've had and where your body fat levels are. That is not the case. Um, we can influence our blood glucose reading in the morning fasted by our sleep, our stress levels, our training volumes, our training intensities, uh, like fuckloads of things can influence it. So actually it is, it's a form of biofeedback that's good at any point to be honest. And this is why, you know, I kind of made the post the other day about marginal gains. It's a variable that if you want to be measuring pretty much everything to the nth degree, I would have like quite a few people tracking it. The issues that I've seen, John, okay, so these are the issues that I've seen, is that sometimes it can give you quite in quite frequent poor data. So frequently I've seen it with clients um, that they've grabbed a blood glucose meter and it's given us almost like diabetes diabetic readings sometimes and that's because of they did have a period of time and I think they still are having a period of time where monitors or test strips are having bad batches um, so it's just something to be aware of uh, this doesn't happen crazy frequently uh, I probably was over exaggerating but it does happen like now and again I had two clients maybe it was just I linked them to a shit meter maybe it was my fault um, but they both had like horrendously poor readings um, like to the point where I was like, this is just not right. So I told them to buy a new meter. Um, one of the guys actually went to the doctors to get it checked. And it was fine. Absolutely fine. So for the, for, for the most part, most people I find that take it are fine because they're managing every other variable. So they're in a, they're in the range that I'd want them to be, which is to be honest, anywhere between four and 5.5. Um, I think you you can obviously go a little bit higher than that in the morning and be, still be in a good spot. Um, depends as to all your variables and what's influenced that. Um, you obviously can go lower than that, but also what you've got to be wary of is that people experience hypoglycemic responses at different, differing uh, blood glucose uh, readings. So some people can feel very, very hypo on like a 4.0 reading. Some people can feel hypo on like a 3.5. Some people don't feel it until they're like 3.0. Um, and and, and that's, that's very, very individual. But to be honest, yes, it's, it's like I said, it's something that you probably want to be able to track um, if you're really managing every single variable, John. Uh, Robert, my honest opinion on the IFBB Natty show, will it be drug tested as close as the WMBF? So I am not sure about this one, to be honest. Uh, if you look at the previous ways that they've drug tested these kind of federations, so like um, uh, which which is the the one that they used to do, um, they used yeah Mr Universe. So they used to do the Mr Universe contest, which was apparently drug tested, um, whether it was or not to the degree that it should have been, um, I'm not sure. 
and I don't think that it will be with this either, if I'm honest. Um, and there's always going to be doubt, isn't there? So I don't know. Um, I think if they're doing just urine analysis, then they're going to have issues. To be honest, be honest with you, Robert, I think drug testing in general is a pretty hard thing. And Joe actually sort of, we had a conversation about this. Joe asked the question about your himbine. Um, it's like, one, where do we draw the line? And two, how do we efficiently drug test? Um, Robert, we know that there's plenty of athletes out there, like, for example, Lance Armstrong, Tour de France, um, et cetera, et cetera, that have gone years passing drug tests, passing drug tests and, and continuing to compete when they've been doping. So the thing is, I, I, I think that all the people at the top, top level of the WNBF are natural. I believe in that for sure. Because... You just look at their physiques and you know that they've worked for years and years and years for the, the, that where they are from a physique perspective. And you can just, you can just tell. Like, uh, for example, even, even someone who's arguably contemplated as one of the fake natties, right? Doug Miller, okay? So some people think he's not natural, right? I actually think he is because I believe in Doug's integrity. Um, I've met Doug, spent time with Doug. I've spoken to Doug. I believe in his integrity, and I also have seen him standing next to what, so arguably, Doug has fantastic genetics, right? Elite genetics. I've seen, seen him standing next to, both in the off-season, James Hollingshead. And James Hollingshead looks like an absolute monster in comparison to Doug Miller. So when you see them in person, you will realise the difference between the elite of natural bodybuilding and the elite of assisted bodybuilding. Don't have anything against either one of those two approaches. I, all I'm saying is that there's a fucking ginormous difference and I wish people actually understood that before they start doubting people just from a few photos they've seen on Instagram and his fantastic feats of strength, which are actually more than possible as a natural who works as hard as he does. Um, so yeah, I think at the top level of the sport within the WNBF, the drug testing is stringent enough to catch people um and it's pretty obvious when you're not natural and you compete in a drug tested show if you're you know some of the genetic elite and you compete in a uh in a non-drug tested federation um you're going to be pretty obvious like you're going to stand out like a sore thumb because there's a huge difference so that's just my thoughts so you'll be able to basically my response to that question is you'll be able to tell whether it's drug tested or not by the people that compete in it. So Joe asked about your himbine. We actually talked about this yesterday in terms of where we draw the line. So he was talking to me about how it has similar properties and to like similar properties, obviously not a similar degree of effect as clenbuterol, which is quite absurd when you think about it um, in terms of the way it responds in the body um, with alpha receptors. But I don't know. I don't know, to be honest with that question, Joe. Um, where do we draw the line? I think we draw the line at something that has that kind of degree of effect, to be honest. Um, and I said to him, I wouldn't be surprised if it is if it is removed, uh, sorry, if it is placed onto the banned substance list in, in future years. But we'll soon find out, won't we? But for now, it remains off the banned list. People can use it and people can potentially see results off it. Um, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, we don't know. Um, 
but ultimately there still remains a big difference obviously in the in, in the muscularity levels comparative to, to natural to assisted again this just remains quite clear meal timing versus overall calories for optimal performance simon so, so this is a bit of a difficult question when you're looking at optimal performance calories will underpin everything so so, so, so if you're not consuming enough calories, but you're timing your food well, your your performance still won't be as good as if you if as if you uh, were, were eating enough. Okay, um, so if you're you're not eating enough calories, timing your foods perfectly, your I believe your performance would still be better if you were eating enough and timing them with no regard. So to answer your question, if you want to get optimal performance, you consume enough calories. But that does not mean in the slightest that nutrient timing does not matter. It has, it's, it, in my degree of importance, it is literally second behind overall calories. That is where it's at. So it's, it's important. And a lot of people don't put that into perspective. They do not take nutrient timing as important as it should be. So... For, for me, the, the, the peri-workout meal timing is, is, is of a huge degree of importance. Um, if you do not take this seriously, you will see uh, negative connotations in your performance. Okay? And, uh, and, and that, that's, as a physique athlete, that's the last thing we want. Okay? So, you, from, from my perspective, finding out a, an approach that we're, I, I always, every single client that I set up, they have their pre, intra, and post-workout meals absolutely guidelined. Okay, so these are the meals that I say to them, these remain unchanged for as long as possible. So throughout a diet period, if you have to eat protein and veggies throughout the day to keep your peri-workout meals intact, you do that because your performance, your training session is the most important part of your day. So you have to create an environment where that most important part of the day is set up adequately with calories. A lot of people do not do that. They think, oh, I'll just have this for pre-workout. i have this for post-workout. And that's where you're going wrong. And that brings me back to one of my earlier questions with sort of like, how are you making so much progress at the moment? And that's the answer, you know, is like, I, I take that, I take every sort of timing in the day with regards to nutrition very seriously. Uh, and if you don't, you will you will see comparatively weaker performance to that that, that do take those, the, those things seriously. So yeah, like really do take it seriously, dude. It is important. Um, so Joe asked about how do I quantify and measure my sleep? Do I use an activity tracker or by how I feel? So I use an app called Sleep Cycle. And put this beside my bed at night. It measures the percentage quality of my sleep. Um, it gives me feedback in terms of my sleep length and obviously my sleep quality too. So I'd highly recommend that to anyone that's looking to track their sleep. Dan asks for mid-season mini cut, off-season. Is dropping calories immediately too below maintenance too aggressive absolutely not like why 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 would you want to go from why would you want to start a mini cut and not go below maintenance i guess maybe you've not thought about your question fully maybe you've not sort of thought it through um if the question is should you run a maintenance phase before you mini cut then that's a more understandable question because if your plan is to mini cut and you're not going below maintenance you're not mini cutting. You're that's not a mini cut because you're not you're not actually in a deficit. You you won't be losing any fat at that point. So I I, I would say that do you need to run a maintenance phase before you mini cut? Eh, probably 
Probably not. It depends as to where you're at. If you feel like you can maintain your current body weight, harden it up, like almost recomp a little bit and still improve gym performance and not see any sort of detriments to digestion or gut health or uh, just general like cardiovascular health and yeah, all of these things that are markers for maybe being too high in body fat. If we're not seeing a drop off in any of those things by maintaining, then maybe you can maintain for a little bit and still eke out some performance benefits and still be in a slight surplus, but a lower surplus than you've been in in, in previous previous months. Um, but yeah, in terms of dropping calories and actually going into the mini diet, you need to get into a deficit immediately. <laughs> immediately. So the, the whole goal of doing a mini diet is to be in a deficit. So you should drop your calories immediately. Cool. Right, so I am at uh 35 minutes now i'm gonna keep going so i'm feeling i'm feeling like we're on a roll here so i uh, i've got three more pages of questions so i'm unfortunately not going to be able to get through everything but i'll try and get through as many as i can um right so i don't know your name but your instagram username is r s c h rock 19 can you go over fixing or dealing with low testosterone post contest uh, for a natural training and eating so pretty much most people most males will pretty much go to a very close or stage of being hypergonadal at the end of a prep so extremely low testosterone levels um to deal with this simply we need to get calories up um you if if testosterone levels were really tanked and we were having a, a hard time raising them then I would start to look into the diet a little more in terms of prioritizing essential fatty acids, maybe including more nuts and diverse essential fatty acids in the diet. Um, but first port of call would be to get calories sig significantly up. As calories go up, body fat rises. As body fat rises, hormonal secretion gets into more of its natural and you regain all your normal bodily functions back. Uh, you start secreting testosterone again, and again, you get back that function, um, and it does come back for most. Training-wise, again, we've got to look at what is going to get testosterone back to peak levels. When we see a, a high amount of cortisol, so a high amount of stress, we see a lowered testosterone, okay? So, so what we've got to do, ideally with training volume in that phase, is keep it as low as we can. Because you're re the reality of building muscle post-contest is low. You're at a very chronic state environment. Um, you're probably experiencing a lot of uh, sorry, a lot of sympathetic dominance throughout your day. So trying to reduce that, reduce stress as much as possible. So training volume, down. Training intensity can remain fairly high because if volume's coming down, we can keep intensity there. But again, intensity could be lowered a little bit. But we can keep intensity there to, again, maintain skill and maintain muscle. And then the whole goal will simply be to increase calories and see you get back to more normality. If you continue to see issues, that's where, like, to be honest, dude, you've got to admit that bodybuilding is an unfortunately slow slog of a process. So if you've been dieting for a long time and you take off a lot of body fat, you've got a long way to start feeling normal again. Um... It's taken me, in all honesty, sometimes as much as six months to start feeling totally normal again. So if it takes you six months to feel normal again, 
maybe it'll take you six months and that's something you've just got to admit and be be comfortable with doing before you do a bodybuilding prep and it's why i tell my my male clients at the start of prep i'm like you're entering a serious phase here where you are going to put your health to a degree at risk at some point um it brings me on to actually one of the other questions that i can kind of so the question was uh, my opinions on relative energy deficiency in male physique athletes um, so this is why it's of relevance to the the other question is because the basically the amount of time that you spend in a lean state, the amount of time that you spend contest lean is going to influence um, the effects that you see. Um, so if you, you spend a lot of time uh, lean, you're going to have these symptoms of low testosterone. Um, you're going to potentially be hypogonadal and your ability to recover these is going to be harder. Um, it applies the same for females, so both males and females. So to answer the, uh, the the other question as well, it's like you know, you've really got to assess how much time you're going to spend lean, and you've got to understand that you can't spend much time lean. Um, if you do, the symptoms and the side effects are only going to be exaggerated. So really taking it seriously when it comes to basically doing your fucking shows and then finishing and getting the hell out is super important. If you're not being aware of that, then you need to really, really, really think about like your health, um, because you, you're going to you're going to start uh, going backwards quite fast, um, uh, and and that's where all the effects of um, of the secondary question is is going to come into play, and you've just got to be really, really aware of that. So yeah, um, relative energy deficiency is a serious thing. We need to get, take it seriously. Um, obviously, it applies to both females and males. Um, male athletes will see the low testosterone effects, the low mood, the lethargicness that comes with low test, um, and potentially um, you, you may well spend uh, too too much time in, in that place and therefore be hypergonadal and, and not be able to recover that. Uh, and at that point, you will have to do some something like TRT, for example, which I know some people who have to have done, um, and it's a serious thing. So like you've got to be able to take your health seriously, guys. Connor asked about choosing a show near that time. Okay, for yourself and your clients, do you prefer picking a show and setting the dates or dieting until you achieve a certain look? Really good question. Um, I set dates with most people and then I just appreciate that if we're not ready, we're not ready and that's cool. So I do a bit of both. Um, I set the date for motivation. I set the date to instill a mindset of I'm going to be ready by this date. Um, they can also start sort of like telling family, telling friends about it. There's something quite invigorating and motivating about being a certain amount of weeks out as opposed to being an unknown amount of weeks out. I'd personally find it quite unmotivating to not know when I was going to compete. For example, I already know how many weeks out I am from my next show. Like literally now I know how many weeks out I am from my next competition and I find that extremely motivating. So for, for a prep itself... I think it's very important to know when you're going to compete and if you plan it adequately, you should know a show you're going to be ready for. But of course, life happens, things come into play and not all the time do we get ready for the show that we want and that's where a degree of auto-regulated show options comes in and that's really something that we have to be aware of. Steve, whey or casein for before bed? 
So some research will suggest that a slower acting protein will uh, aid obviously keeping us into uh, or aiding a muscle protein synthesis response, preventing muscle protein breakdown as we are as we are asleep and as we don't have any sort of MPS spikes. So if you really want to optimize things and prevent muscle protein breakdown, go for a slow acting protein. Simple answer. Um, so yeah, I would say a casein or a uh, if you're going to have a protein source before bed, combine it with uh, a slower acting carbohydrate and some fats and potentially you'll slow the digestion of that food even more so. If it's more so for satiety reasons, then again, the casein will probably fill you up more than a regular whey protein. So yeah, but for performance-based reasons, uh, if you can afford to have a casein protein before bread, I'd, I'd probably recommend it to be honest, or a slower digesting protein. But Will it make a ginormous difference? No. Will it give you some maybe marginal gains? Perhaps. And again, it's another another varied protein option in your diet. Much results from direct ab training with clients. Um, uh, most people I find have good abs or they don't have good abs. And I think training them is important because you need to be aware of the connection that you have with your abs. But besides that, I haven't seen a huge difference between the clients that train their abs versus the clients that do. Um, most of my clients do train their abs or they're told to train their abs, whether they do or not is up to them because I'm not there in the sessions telling them to train their abs. But I would say that, uh, yeah, you do need to train them. You need to train them like pretty much any other muscle group uh, relatively progressively. But a lot of your compound lifts, especially if you're doing them beltless, will require your midsection to, to, to aid and to work. Um, uh, a lot of your abdominal development will be genetic, unfortunately, but you can, I do believe that you can influence the thickness of your abs by training them. Blue light blocking glasses. What are the benefits? Where can we get them? We can get them from Amazon. The benefits are uh, when we're looking at anything that emits blue light, we are inhibiting our ability to secrete melatonin, uh, melatonin helps with regulating our circadian rhythm and understanding and, and switching off our body in terms of getting it into a sleep state. So I would say that they are definitely a beneficial item to have if you're looking at monitors, screens, laptops, phones at late at night. If you haven't got blue light blockers, you can avoid looking like a bellend and use screen options like flux or switch your phone to night mode. These can have similar effects, but I do, I do find that for example, with lights on around the flat, um, just having the blue light blockers on makes everything feel more dark. And when you feel like the room is darker, I generally think you feel more asleep and you feel more like you're ready for bed too. So I would say that they're an investment that I would make and make myself look like a construction worker every single night just to get a good night's sleep because I just feel more switched off with them on. Frequency of posing in a diet. So Kevin asks, how often should you pose when you're dieting? Um, pretty much, I would say that from about 12 weeks out, you should be posing pretty much every day. And I know that sounds excessive, but I would say the more you practice it, the, the greater the chances of you not getting it wrong on stage. Because there's always those posing updates where you're like, ah, I just hit that wrong this morning. No, 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 no. Like that shouldn't happen. You shouldn't be hitting anything wrong. You should be hitting everything right. Um, so to get everything right, you need to be practicing super frequently. So yeah, I would say pretty much every morning um, in the diet phase. 
What do you find is your biggest daily struggle, Alistair? Um, getting out of bed <laughs> after heavy training sessions? No, I'm joking. Um, biggest daily struggle. I think for, for me, it's doing too much. Um, I'm, and I say this to my clients as well, I'm what you like to call like a yes man. So I said to Danny, like the amount that I'm doing today, and she was like, why have you chosen to do all those things? Uh, chosen to record my own podcast, do all my own check-ins, set up a new client, do a live stream with Valentin, be a guest on someone else's podcast, and on top of that, do all my usual work. I, I made the decision to do that because I'm a bit of a yes man, and if, I don't know whether she will, but if Grace listens to this, she'll tell me off because I keep telling her to be a no a no girl and say no a few more times because you, you need to own your time. So my biggest struggle of every day, mate, is just saying no to some things and owning my own time a little bit more. Um, but this is what happens when you enjoy what you do, right? Um, so that that's my biggest struggle is just sort of when I, like I very rarely switch off and I think me and Danny both struggle with this in the sense that, we don't often sit down at the end of the day and just sit on the sofa and watch some shit on the TV. We don't very often do that, partly because we don't really like, we don't love that too much. Like we, It's not like we love doing that, but it's nice now and again to just do nothing. So yeah, um, we need to work on that a little bit. Wish we will. <laughs> uh, calories up quickly after a mini cup, very similar to my previous answer. Very individual dependent, but you need to not waste time. So get your calories up so you're gaining pretty much. That's the whole purpose is to get out of the get out of the mini cup. Um, Connor asked the funniest thing that I've seen happen in the gym. I don't really have many stories, to be fair. Um, like I don't really have any stories. I, I just don't. I, I, I can't think of any that's that's particularly funny. Um, so I'm really sorry about that one. I'm such a shit shit comical guy when it comes to funny things that happen. I just don't know. Um, I've not seen crazy funny stuff. There was like a, when, when we were in LA, there was a pretty funny argument between a, a Spanish woman and some random guy and she was shouting extremely loudly across the gym and attracting the attention of the entire 24 hour fitness. Um, but that was, that, <laughs> that was pretty much like the extent of what I've seen. Um, I've seen, oh yeah, I've seen someone like hip thrusting like 180 kilos without a, without a, um, a, a squat pad and like being in immense pain afterwards. And I'm like, why, like, why did you do that? <laughs> what, why, why? Um, so I've seen some stuff like that, but nothing crazily funny, nothing like George shitting himself. Um, when coming away from cutting, how do you figure out your maintenance macros? The answer is you bump your calories up to a predicted maintenance and you take your body weight over a seven day period, you calculate an average, and then you understand where your maintenance falls. Very simple. You don't really calculate it. You more so determine it by putting your calories up and seeing where everything falls. Working late means my last meal is around 11 p.m. Any issues when when with this when bulking? You can interrupt sleep. So an ideal scenario for digestion and absorption of nutrients is to finish your last meal, ideally about an hour to two hours before bed. Um, if you can avoid, if you can avoid eating close to bedtime, I do think that that will influence your sleep quality. Um, just because you won't be disrupting digestion, um, you'll be allowing your body to switch off that process and get into a sleep state. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd make that meal small if possible. Don't make it a big meal. 
If that's a big meal before bed, you're probably going to run into sleep issues. What's the best training style to get big? Progressive. Literally, that's it. Progressive. Progressive training. That's going to get you big. Um, Post-workout and pre-bed meal. Joseph, I've answered that already um, earlier on. When cutting, should I increase, decrease, or keep my protein the same? Good question, Niall. Uh, In most people, you'll be interested to hear this, I actually decrease their protein as we diet. Because as we diet, our need for protein reduces. So as our body weight reduces, therefore our requirement for protein reduces. I also find it far more favorable to put a preference over carbohydrates. Um, Carbohydrates are protein sparing, but also they highly influence performance. And our main goal when it comes to muscle retention is retaining performance. So as long as we have adequate protein, we will retain maximal muscle mass. Um, unless someone's got a very good, very uh, high preference for protein, high protein diets obviously do promote satiety. Um, so potentially in some people that struggle with hunger, we can see a higher protein amount. But for most people, I, I preferentially increase carbohydrates um, and I keep protein on the lower end. And that seems to work very well for most. Um, so yeah, I don't think you need as much protein as you think you do when you're dieting. I actually prefer a little bit more in an off-season phase where carbohydrates are high, trace proteins from carbohydrates get accumulated, um, the most thermogenic macro is going to be protein, so potentially when you're dieting, it's a favorable tool, um, but again, if you look at performance, performance is your number one factor, um, and when you're in an off-season, you have plenty of carbohydrates for performance, you don't need to worry about being depleted or Uh, having an amount of carbohydrates that's relevant for performance because they're always going to be high enough for performance. Some tips for growing bigger glutes. So if you really want to grow big glutes, I think squatting in quite a hip-dominant fashion is going to probably build your glutes and hamstrings pretty well. Um, So that's leading with your hips um, as opposed to leading with your knees in a squat pattern. I also think that doing lunge variations is very good for the glutes. I think high and wide leg press is very good for the glutes. And I think any sort of glute kickback or a machine variant of a hip thrust is good. I don't really like the barbell hip thrust too much. um, But I think working the glutes through hip extension and uh, abduction is going to be how you're going to develop a full uh, developed glute. Um, So yeah, hip extension... Um, uh, hip hinges with your well you're going to be training hip hip extension with your hip hinges Um, do some big RDLs do some good deadlifts and just good good pulls do some hip dominant squats um, abduction and you'll build some good glutes get a good connection with them as well like do some banded warm-ups etc to get them on before you train them and that should be that should be you sorted cool Um, right so couple more and then we'll finish my plan for the pursuit of the pro card miles. So pretty simple plan is the rest of this year off, um, assess at the end of this year with regards to where I'm at, and then make strides to to, to sort of diet down and get ready for the stage um, in 2020. Pretty simple. Um, this year needs to be maximized just like last year was. I don't really want to diet really at any point. Um, I wouldn't mind doing a mini cut at some point just to clean up. But for now, the goal is to get pretty much as close to 200 pounds in good condition as possible. 
Uh, and when I say 200 pounds, like, I don't mean just 200 pounds for the sake of it. I mean, I want to fucking look good at 200 pounds. Um, and that's going to take a lot of hard training. It's going to take a lot of consistent nutrition. It's going to take a lot of recovering well. Um, but I'm prepared to do it. So that's that's what we want. You know, it's, it's, it's very easy to get to 200 pounds. I could get to 200 pounds pretty easily. I'd just eat loads. Um, I eat, 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 eat loads and I'd be able to get to 200 pounds within you know, probably even a month. But getting 200 pounds in good condition, that takes work. And that's what we'll have to do. Uh, but I'll probably will have to do a clean up at some point, but only one clean up ideally, one clean up um, before before um, before sort of dieting down properly in prep phase. Um, so it's like someone asked uh, tips for being skinny fat, like any tips? Gain more muscle, gain more muscle. Like if if you're skinny fat, you're you've not got enough enough muscle. Don't diet. This is one of the mistakes that skinny fat people make. Um, I'm sorry that I'm calling you skinny fat, but you, you did kind of categorize yourself as that. So you, you don't make the mistake of dieting. If you diet, you're only going to look smaller. Um, be prepared to put on a bit more body fat, get a bit fluffy around the, around the edges, gain some strength, be progressive in the gym, and then diet off like later. But do six months of progressive training and progressive eating, and then maybe pull back a little bit. And then you'll notice, wow, like I actually have muscle and I don't look skinny fat anymore. Perfect. Um, that's the that's the issue fixed. So yeah, that's what I would say there. That's my tips. All right, guys, I'm gonna end it here. Um, this is probably in total. I know that I split a few clips up, but it's probably been close to an hour. So please do let me know if you like this kind of length. I know that there's been comments in the past with regards to make them longer. So uh, no innuendos on that one. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I've made this one longer. So if you like this, comment below or send me a message on Instagram saying that you like the longer podcasts, and I'll continue to do more of them. Um, you really enjoyed the one with Danny, so we'll, we will be sure to do one of those again. Uh, she's currently caught my flu, so definitely today wasn't the best idea to be doing one of those. Um, and yeah, I hope you're all well. I hope not many of you are sick, and I uh, hope you're, all of your training is going well. Please share that you've listened to this on your Instagrams, comment below saying you enjoyed it, all of the usual stuff. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll be sure to chat to you guys next week. Again, we're on a podcast roll. I think this is January. Yep, this is January. Ticked off with one a week, if not more. Uh, going live with Valentin this evening on Instagram. So check that out. And also, I'll be doing a podcast with a girl called Frankie tonight on bodybuilding and eating disorders. Um, obviously, just giving my stance on how bodybuilding can potentially impact people who have a tendency uh, to, to, to go into ED patterns. So yeah, that that's what I'm going to be talking about tonight. So other than that, uh, chat to you guys soon. And thanks again for watching. Cheers, guys. Bye.